First of all, God created men and women to be of the same essence or of the same essence. He created men and women equal in dignity. They're both created in the image of God. God created men and women and gave them specific roles according to their gender. God created men and women in his image. uh, And because he created men and women, male and female, this assumes masculinity and femininity. And marriage is a holy covenant before God between one man and one woman, whereby one man and one woman commit to become one in every way. And sex, the marriage act, is the sign of this one flesh covenant that requires male and female. And for this reason, sex is to only be experienced in the context of the marriage covenant. And because God created marriage for the gospel, sexuality, and gender, and these things that are displayed in marriage are also created for the gospel. And so to distort sexuality, gender, or marriage in any way is to experience or portray less than God's design for the gospel, to display the gospel. And so marriage was created to display the gospel. We're going to talk about that today. Christ's commitment to be one with his bride to the church. And so the husband's responsibility in marriage is to sacrificially love the wife. We're going to talk about that today. And last week, the wife, in light of that, willfully places herself under the husband's leadership. Willfully places herself under the leadership of a man in a home who is also willfully placing himself under the authority of Christ. Now, we're going to look at the section that I read earlier, and as we read through that, and as I just said, we're going to talk about the man's role, the husband's role in marriage. And even as I read through that, you, you, you can see the emphasis on the passage is the man, the male, the, the husband in the marriage using this authority. We, we talked about last week what it means to be head of the home, head in the marriage. means you are the leader, you are the authority, but you use that authority for the good of your bride. And we see in this passage already the weight of the gospel is on Jesus. And I, I want to speak very clearly and bluntly. The weight of the marriage is on the husband. He is the leader who loves and sacrifices. He is the one who cultivates the the, the wife's submission and trust and respect. And and even as we we read this, and before we get into the passage beginning in verse 25, even this concept, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, as he writes to this church, that concept during this time would have been scandalous for those who read it. I said this last week, at this time, women were little more than property. Slaves were for sexual pleasure, and the wife was for children, childbearing. This is the way they were looked at in this culture. And women had no level of leverage in the home or society, to leave, to get away from abuse. They had no leverage for this. The man held her identity, held her provision. If she's going to take care of her kids, everything that that she needed, wanted, 
he was to possess. And so she had no rights. And so when Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that would be scandalous. That would be mind-blowing. For, for some, that would have been infuriating. That, that, that wouldn't have made sense to them, but it is exactly what Paul says here. Your wife is not a pod for babies. She is a bride to be loved the same way Jesus loves his bride. Notice verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrificial love. Husbands, the man, and we talked about in Genesis chapter one through three, God establishes the, the responsibility that we have to lead, protect, and provide, to lead in obedience. And then Adam was to protect in the garden and then provide for his wife. We have that responsibility as leaders in the home, as leaders in marriage, as authority, but we use that authority and that leadership for love. Notice, love your Wives, love is a commitment to someone else's good no matter what it costs you. Love is a commitment. It's not just a feeling. It's not just one action either. It is a wholehearted commitment to someone else's good knowing it's going to cost you. But no matter what it costs you, you're committed to their good. And husbands are to love their wives this way. How do we know it? Because this is the way Christ loved the church, the gathering, his bride. Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, loved the church with sacrificial love. He was committed to her good no matter what it cost him. What did it cost him? Notice, he gave himself up for her. He was committed to her. No matter what it cost him, and it cost him his life. But notice the way it's phrased, gave himself up for her. And we know he gave himself on the cross. He dies for the sins of his bride. But notice, gave himself up for her. And we talked about this last week. Christ is the provision for the church. And so the husband is to be a provision in the home for the wife, what she needs it is wrapped up in his leadership. And here, Jesus gives himself as provision to the church. It is sacrificial, but it is self-giving. This is what the love of a husband is to look like in the church. It is in the home. It is self-giving, and also it is limitless. There's no limit to his love for the church. He gave himself for her. Now, this is not the opposite of self-giving, limitless love on behalf of the husband is distant and passive. And this flies in the face of those two things. This is normally what happens with men in a marriage. You, you commit, you're in, you begin to, to move along in marriage, and you move in two, one of two extremes. First of all, you become a pushover. That's not what self-giving love is. You're just there and you're passive. Or you become a distant tyrant. Self-giving, sacrificial love is the opposite of those two extremes. 
You give yourself and there's no limits to it. You're not holding back. You're not in the shadows. You're also not at a distant demanding or commanding. You're all in. And normally what happens when a husband moves in one of these two ways is a wife usually resents the pushover because he creates a mess by being so passive. He's just sort of a house pet. He's just there and things run amok. And who is she frustrated with? The husband. And so she resents him. But she also is repelled by the tyrant who is at a distance demanding things be done the way he wants them done. This is not the sacrificial love Paul's talking about here. But I do want to warn you of this. The self-sacrificial, limitless love of the husband, as Christ loved the church, is also very threatening too. Because normally you want the passive pushover or you you just want, hey, just tell me what to do. But the self-sacrificial, limitless love of a husband can also be very threatening. Why? Because he's giving himself and he's showing up and he's making decisions and he's bearing burdens and he's confronting conflict and he's dealing with struggles in the home. And sometimes you, you don't want that. That can be threatening too, just like the authority of Christ can be threatening. The leadership of Christ is threatening at times. But this is what it looks like to lead and love in the home. And what happens as a display of the gospel is the wife leans into that self-giving love. She leans into it. She follows a servant leader who is making decisions, who's sacrificially leading the home. Who's, who's making decisions and leading spiritually. And by the way, we, we get to this as men, and it, one of the most difficult things that we do in our home is to lead spiritually. And a lot of times men are like, hey, give me some tips how to leave my phone, or how to leave my, leave my phone, that's a good tip. How to lead my wife and leave, lead my home spiritually. Hey, hey, try to make this easier for me. I can't. 23 years of ministry, I can't make it easy. It's hard for me. (laughs) Sometimes praying with your wife is the hardest thing you will do during your day. It is hard. It's difficult. Reading your Bible with your family, talking theology around, those things are hard. Those things are difficult. Why? Why is it hard? Should it be easy? No. Satan hates your marriage. Satan hates your home. And so to lead spiritually, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. You're going to have to be willing to have courage. You're going to have to be willing to step up. It's not easy. It's called spiritual warfare, not spiritual vacation. And so when a husband is doing that, the wife leans into that. She doesn't resent him. She's not repelled by it. She leans into it. She trusts him. She finds security in a sacrificial protector who says, give me the stress. Give me the conflict. She looks with contentment to the selfless provider. He's not negotiating. This is mine. This is yours. Jesus has no prenuptial for his bride. He's all in. He's all in. I'm yours. That's what Jesus says 
I'm the provision, and everything I have is yours. He is hers. And this is the self-giving love the husband is to have in the home for his wife. But notice that the text continues, it's also unconditional love. He gave himself for her, verse 26, that, there's a purpose, that he might sanctify her, that he might set her apart. Why did Jesus die for the church? Why did he give himself for the church? So that she might be sanctified. The word means holy. She may be set apart to God only. And notice this description here. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And you have to see all of that together. He gave himself to make her holy, to make her totally pure, like, like, like washing her with water. But how does he do it? With the word. It's not just outward cleansing. It's with the word that purifies from the inside out. And he, he makes her pure with his promise. He makes her pure with the gospel. Notice verse 27. So that it's another purpose. He gave himself so that she might be holy. And then here's the end result of that holiness. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He gave himself to make her holy. Because one day she will stand before him in perfection and splendor. The word here is a displayed glory. Splendor. She will put on, be put on display. The church will be presented. Notice how it's phrased here. Present the church to himself. He dies for this gift that will be given to him in the church and unwrapped and displayed in glory forever as she loves and serves him forever. That's why he gave his life so that she would be pure. And what's interesting here is he's not, he's not cleansing his, his bride for a worship service. The language here is you're going into the temple, you need to be made pure, you're cleansed. No, he is purifying her for an eternal relationship where she will be presented to him as his bride forever, pure, without spot or wrinkle, meaning there is no imperfection with her. There will be. And that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the end of the story for the church. This is the story you're a part of. This is why Jesus died for you. That one day you will stand before him and serve him without sin. You will love perfectly. You will serve perfectly. There will be no spot or blemish in anything that you do for Jesus forever. You will be the perfect bride who serves him forever, the church. Now, this section, Paul is referring to the covenant that we read earlier in our responsive reading in Ezekiel. He's referring back to it. You see, God's people had become idolatrous. And Ezekiel describes them as a harlot. You are chasing after other gods. And in the text we read, the nations see your idolatry. And it is Israel that is making the nations more idolatrous. But God says, I'm going to make a promise to you, my people. There is a day coming where I will cleanse you. I will cleanse you of your outward sin. And I will cleanse you inwardly with the word, by the spirit. And this is the promise that Paul is referring to here. That there is a day coming where God, who is groom, will take his bride, who has become a harlot, and he will wash her and cleanse her from the inside out, and she will be perfect forever. 
That, that is the promise Paul is referring to here, and that is the promise of the gospel, the promise that Jesus has made to us and sealed with his blood. He died on the cross to purify you of your sin, but he also made a promise one day you will be totally purified of sin. That is the washing of water with the word that you're experiencing now as you hear the word of God, as you read the word of God, and there is a day coming where you'll be totally clean. That is the promise that those of us who are sinful and wicked and idolatrous, one day we will be pure before God, covered in Jesus' righteousness, forgiven by his blood forever. Now, what is the point here? The point is this covenant is unconditional. Love for God is to meet all of the conditions for his people. He does it all from beginning to end. He dies for his people, and then he is the one who makes his people clean. He meets all of the conditions. The biggest problem in your marriage, in my marriage, in this moment, are the conditions that we are placing on our spouse. This is the biggest problem. It's not something they're doing or not doing. It's the conditions I place upon my wife. It's the conditions she places on me. That's where the tension comes in. And and you got married and you, you saw this wonderful person that you were attracted to and they're so amazing and they're so wonderful. And okay, we're gonna get married. And you 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 see the wonderful, but you ignore, blind it so often by the less than wonderful. And you believe that one day the less than wonderful stuff is gonna catch up to the wonderful stuff. But then you, then you start living together. And you realize the wonderful stuff wasn't so wonderful. And the less than wonderful is a lot worse than you ever expected. And now you're stuck in this situation where you're looking at the other person and you're thinking, if you would just be who I thought you were going to be, I would love you. I would respect you. And that's not the way it works. And that's where the tension comes in day in and day out in marriage. But here we see Jesus' love is self-giving, it's limitless, and it is unconditional. And if you're waiting to love someone based upon your conditions, that's not love. That's cruelty. That's a false gospel. Jesus commits to a sinful bride and says, I will meet all the conditions for you. Here is the gospel. While we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. We weren't lovable. We couldn't meet any of the conditions. And so Jesus said, I will meet the conditions for you. And then I will take care of everything for you. I will be the one that makes you clean. He commits to a sinful bride and cleanses her with his blood. He commits to a weak bride and wraps her in his strength. He commits to a flawed bride and redeems her with his power. He commits to an unrighteous bride and gives her his righteousness. He commits to a fallen bride and promises to raise her in his resurrection. He meets all the conditions. And so husbands, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you have to die to your conditions. And you have to embrace unconditional love. What does that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, 
Forgiveness involves confrontation. It involves confession and reconciliation. There's a lot of tension in your home because you're not going through that. You are pouting and you are sulking and you are alienating. And there's lots of sin stain laying around in your house that begins to smell and it begins to overtake the home and it begins to rot. Why? Because you're not saying that's sin, let's clean it, let's get it out of here. That's wrong. Let me confess my sin to you. Will you please forgive me? Are we reconciled? How do we reconcile? You were wrong. You shouldn't have said that. That is sin. I'm willing to forgive you. Okay, I need to be forgiven. That's got to happen in the home. That's a part of unconditional love. That is a display of unconditional love. To, to sulk and be pouty, that's a condition. that you're not, meet, you're not meeting my conditions. No, unconditional love is self-giving. Let's deal with this. Let's deal with it. Let's sit down and let's talk about it. And then you walk away. I have forgiven you. It's over. It also involves mercy and grace. This means you're not pointing out weaknesses. You're making up for weaknesses, husbands. You don't walk in the home and say, what have you been doing all day? No, you walk in the home and say, how can I help? What do you need? What do you need? If you would just do, no, no, what do you need? You don't even say, that hasn't been done yet? Let me do it. No, you, oh, here it is, let me do it. I got it, I got this, I got this. Grace and mercy, not condemnation. It also, and most of all, I think it involves patience. See, we want a wife to be godly for our own benefit. And we, we don't really understand what that takes. It takes sacrificial spiritual leadership. But we want to walk in the home and poof, I have a submissive wife. I have a wife that respects me and follows me. Wonderful. It, that takes work, by the way. You didn't marry a perfect woman. And, and, and you didn't you didn't commit to her just because you love her. You commit it to love her. That means you're patient with her. That means you walk in and you see flaws and you see things that aren't the way that you want them to be right now, but you see her the way God sees her, covered in the blood of Christ, and you see what God is going to make her. One who is displaying his image perfectly forever. And you know what a part of that process is? Dealing with your sinful tale. And so you got to be patient with her. you got to be kind with her. you got to see the end, not demanding. And not being a passive pushover either. You step in. How do we deal with this? How can I help you? What are your struggles? What do you need from me spiritually? How can I be patient? How can I be kind with you? I mean, I'm preaching to myself. And Danae's amen in over here. Yeah, you need to hear what you're saying right now. But this is what it means to, be, to, to, to have an unconditional love for your bride. You're forgiving, you're gracious, you're merciful, and you're patient with her. But notice he continues. He describes this commitment in these one flesh terms. Notice verse 28. In the same way, husbands love your wives as their own bodies. Now, what do you do for yourself? You love yourself. You take care of yourself. You wash and you clean yourself. You keep yourself healthy. 
ideally. And he says, this is the way you are to love your wife, as though you're loving yourself. And this is the one flesh imagery of the marriage covenant. And he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. You you love her because you are one flesh. And you take care of her as though you were taking care of yourself. Because you are taking care of yourself. Ask Adam how it worked out when he separated himself from his bride in the garden. Ask him how. No, we take care of her. We provide for her. We lead her because it affects us. Because it, she, we are one flesh. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. Meaning provides for it, feeds it, cherishes it. This means to protect, sacrificially protects it. She is a treasure that is to be protected just as Christ does the church. Paul Paul has to always get back to that. As you're sitting there saying, oh, that's too far. Self-giving, sacrificial, limitless, unconditional love. That's too far as Christ does the church. To say that's too far is deny the gospel. It's to deny the gospel. Do you, do you want Jesus to say that's too far? That's too much love? As Christ does the church because we are members of his body, because we are one. Jesus has decided that he would connect himself to the bride as his body. That means he cannot forsake her. That, that means he must take care of her and protect her because he's taking care of himself. If Jesus turns his back on the bride, he's a liar. He's a fraud. So he's going to take care of his bride, the fullness of him who fills all in all forever. He's going to protect her because he's protecting himself, his glory, his reputation in her. He's attached himself. He's connected. He's immersed himself to the church in this way. But what does it mean that that Jesus... And by the way, this should be mind-blowing. Jesus loves us with the same intensity he loves himself. Jesus loves you, get that, with the same intensity that he loves himself. And Jesus loves himself. He's perfect. There's no idolatry there. He's the only one who loves, who, who deserves the right to be self-loving, Jesus. But he loves you the same way he loves himself. What does that mean? Well, the culmination of such love is he has folded you into the same love the Father has for him. Jesus says, I want you to know what love is. And Jesus says, I know what love is. The Father loves me perfectly, infinitely, the spirit that moves between the Father and the Son, that, that this intense love between the Father and Son. And Jesus says, how do I love my bride the same way that I love myself? Well, I fold her into this cosmic love. And she is lo- she's a part of the love in the Trinity, the fellowship that, that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus folds us into that. That's how he loves you, the same way he loves himself. That should be mind-blowing to you. It's even hard to understand. But he's done so in his death, where he forgives you of your sin and makes you acceptable to the Father. And so now the Father loves you the same way he loves Jesus. 
And so you're asking today, how do I love my wife as I love myself? Well, at the end of the day, you better make sure she experiences the love of the Father, the same love in the gospel that you say you're loved with. There it is. You love your wife as yourself with the gospel. You make sure she knows the gospel. You make sure she experiences the gospel because your love isn't enough. Your love, husbands, is not enough. And if you really want to love her, make sure she knows the love of the Father in Christ. And one of the things that you need to do today, some of us, is we need to love our wives by repenting and believing the gospel for the first time. Some of you don't, you don't, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know the love of God, so you can't love your wife. And today, you need to turn from your sin and understand Jesus died for your sin, and in him, you're covered in his righteousness, and the Father will love you the same way he loves the Son. And when you experience that love, you long for your bride to know that love, because you know your love is weak and it's frail, and it won't last, and you got to make sure she's applying the gospel to her life. In him, Jesus lavishes God's otherworldly love on his bride. You must do the same in the gospel. It is the life, death, and resurrection that sets the bride of Christ apart. It must be the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that sets your bride apart. Make sure your wife knows the gospel, men. And and it's as simple as that. You need to have a conversation today with your wife and say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There are a lot of times we get to membership interviews and and that's one of the things we do as a church is we make sure you understand the gospel and believe the gospel before you become a member here. And we'll get in those interviews and we realize the husband and wife have never heard each other's testimony. Never. And so today, go share your testimony with one another. Bring your kids in. Let's talk about how we came to faith in Christ. Does your wife know the love of God as revealed in the gospel? And then you see to it that you are leading in the gospel, protecting the gospel, and providing the gospel in your home. There's there's two extremes often that wives struggle with in the home. There's this sort of legalistic do-goodism. You see all the pretty people on social media. You hear the things from God's word that you're supposed to be as a wife. And and you realize, that's not me. And you're fighting and you're struggling and you've got a list of rules in your head that other people may have placed there and you are insecure and you're in despair. But then there's this other side too. And it's sort of this, I'm just a hot mess and I don't care. I'm just over here wallowing and not caring about anything spiritual, about anything godly, or about the gospel. Both sides are wrong. And so how do you address that? Well, men, it's not going to be addressed with Insta Reels. Or memes from at inspirationquotes.com by anonymous Buddhist. This is what so many wives are glutting themselves on. 
And they're longing for some guidance and they're longing for some spirituality. And you step into that situation and you say, no, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it frees you from condemnation. Jesus filled all, uh, fulfilled all of the conditions for me. And so I'm free. And it also encourages you to be who God created you to be as a wife, as a mom. Because you're free. When Jesus calls you to take up your cross, you realize you've been purchased by his blood. And men, it is your responsibility to step in and lead, protect, and provide the gospel in your home. It's not a feminine thing to lead with the gospel. And it begins with confession and repentance. You are two sinners who are trying to reflect a perfect gospel. There has got to be confession and repentance, and let's get back to the gospel. Let's get back to the gospel constantly in your home. And men, you've got to lead in the confession and repentance. And you've got to live as someone who believes the gospel in your home. That is your responsibility to lead your kids in that. When they sin, when they disobey, to sit down and look at them and say, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you have displayed this with this mess in the room that I told you not to make. But guess what? Jesus died for our sin, and I want you to believe in Jesus. You gotta be the one who's leading those conversations in the home. You gotta be a part of a church where the gospel is being preached. There's a lot of programs that you can pick in churches. Do they have a good youth group? Do they have a good kids group? No, your first and foremost priority as a man is that my wife is going to hear the gospel, that she's going to have friends that are going to tell her the gospel and lead her in applying the gospel to her life, that's going to confront apathy and self-righteousness. It's going to call her to follow Jesus as a wife. That's your responsibility. But notice... And we're going to look at verses 31 and 33 really quickly. You got to remind your wife of the mission in your home. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We've talked about that in the weeks previous. And he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church, the gospel. Marriage is about the gospel. Men, you have to remind your wife what your marriage is about. He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let each wife see that she respects her husband. You are responsible, men in your home, to remind your wife, to remind everyone around, everyone that sees that your mission in marriage is the gospel. And it's the essence of the union we see here. Your, Your marriage covenant is to witness the covenant Jesus has made with the church. That's what you are as a married couple. That means your wife isn't some subcontractor in the home. No, she is one with you. And together you witness the gospel. And you're on mission together with the gospel. And you've got to remind your home of this. You've got to remind your wife of this. That she's not just some princess pea popping bonbons. I love you. But we've got to get after it for the sake of the gospel. And first and foremost, that means our marriage has to display the gospel. You got to remind her of that as one who leads, protects, and provides. A lot of conflict in the home comes down to this as well is that you have forgotten who you are and what you're supposed to be. And men, you got to remind your home, your family, your wife of these things. 
There's so many things that people are doing nowadays. So much activity. We, we feel we gotta always be going to really be accomplishing anything. And in the home, on any given day, you got the kids, you got the school, you got this, you got that, you got church stuff, you're managing finances, and everything is crazy, and everything's there, and what everything in your home is doing at all times is it's vying for a piece of the purpose. Your finances are saying, we want to be the purpose. Your job is saying, we want to be the purpose. Your kids are saying, we want to be the purpose. We want to be the reason why all of this exists. And you are saying, I want to be the purpose. The wife is saying, I want to be the purpose. And you got to step in and say, no, the purpose is the gospel. And that pulls us above jobs. That pulls us above school. That pulls us even above our activity at church. That pulls us above our finances. But you got to be the one to remind everybody of that. This is about the gospel. Danae throughout our whole life has she has sacrificed for anything I've ever wanted to do no matter how crazy it is moving to Richmond planting a church in a warehouse let's go adopting two kids from Ethiopia let's go rarely is there any hesitancy but I'll notice so often when she doesn't understand what is the gospel behind this that's when she gets worn out so she's like, why are we doing this? What is going on here? And you cause your wife to flourish. And you protect her and you cherish her when you say this is about the gospel. Marriage is about the gospel. So one last thing, man. That means that your love for your wife is your first and foremost mission. That's it. You got to start there. You can be successful at a myriad of things. If you do not love your wife, you are a failure. As blunt as I can say it. You can have awards. You can have money. You can be healthy. You you can have a family full of kids surrounding you, calling you the greatest dad ever. But if you're not loving your wife, if I'm not loving my wife, we are absolute failures. It's our first and foremost mission. A lot of times in conflict, marriage conflict, a guy will look at me and he'll say, what do I do? What do I do? And I say, love her. That's it, love her. What about the kids? Well, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, your kids better look back and say, my mom loved my dad no matter what. More than that, they better say, my dad loved my mom as Christ loved the church. That's what your kids need more than anything.